Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft, coming out in May 2010. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show is about credit. It's about identity theft, credit, collection companies, All those horrible things that are happening in our society right now, and especially with the economy, we're seeing more of all those problems for everybody. And today we're going to be speaking with one of my very favorite consumer attorneys. He's been on our show a couple times before. He is a super lawyer, not only in my mind, but also he's been voted super lawyer for five years in a row, including this year by Daily Journal, and he is terrific. Let me tell you a little bit about attorney Robert Brennan. If you haven't heard him before, you're going to enjoy hearing him this time, and if you have before, you'll love it again. Um, Robert Brennan grew up steeped in the legal tradition. His uncle was the late U.S. Supreme Court Justice William J. Brennan Jr. And if you are a lawyer or you're in law school, you're going to be reading lots of opinions by this man who was brilliant. And he is just like his uncle. In fact, his father, also Frank Brennan, was chief in-house counsel for several major U.S. corporations during his long career. Bob Brennan began his career in civil litigation back in 1988, and then he opened his own general practice, the Law Office of Robert F. Brennan, in 1991. And you can learn more about that practice at Brennan Law, that's B-R-E-N-N-A-N-L-A-W dot com. The firm specializes in litigating cases related to the violation of consumer protection laws. He is a consumer lawyer. This, the types of cases he handles are inclu- include such things as unfair and abusive debt collection, lemon law, automotive dealer fraud, wrongful credit damage, identity theft issues, personal injury, and all sorts of consumer protection class actions. He is an experienced and aggressive trial lawyer and appellate lawyer with a terrific, excellent win record. His recent major victories included having the 4th District Court of Appeal uphold his verdict in Fisher versus Wells Fargo, which was one of the largest California verdicts ever for wrongful credit damage. He also co-authored the Friend of the Court Brief, which resulted in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals 
issuing a very strong pro-consumer decision against federal preemption of California Consumer Credit Reporting Agencies Act. And that was important so that California could still have strong laws that are not preempted or taken over by federal laws. He is a nationally recognized speaker, professional speaker on consumer protection and consumer fraud issues, and he's published many articles on those issues. And he, like I said, he is a super lawyer. You can also find out more about him at socalledcreditdamage.com. So I want to thank Robert for joining us today out of his busy schedule. Thanks, Bob. Maury, thank you very much. Well, you know you are one of my very favorites, and I have to have you um, all the time just to update our wonderful audience about what's going on. So everybody has heard of LifeLock. Everybody hears those commercials on the radio, sees them in the newspaper, on trucks with Todd Davis's social security number, and everybody probably knows that drives me crazy. <laughs> um, not only did experience sue LifeLock for deceptive practices and their problems, but the Federal Trade Commission sued them for deceptive practices. And recently, there was a stipulated uh, agreement, consent decree between LifeLock and the Federal Trade Commission. Why don't you tell us about that? I, I believe that LifeLock uh, is ordered to pay, uh, I can't remember the exact figure, it's 11 or $12 million. It wasn't enough. Right. Uh, in, in my mind, let me just tell you, uh, by the way, it was the Federal Trade Commission, then it was several states' attorneys general, uh, which are basically the, the, state, uh, you know, the state top law enforcement offices that actually joined in, uh, basically saying that LifeLock was charging people for services that they didn't need or services that they could do themselves. And I think that that's the key thing to understand about LifeLock. And the things they could do themselves were free. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's, you know, that, that, that's exactly right. I mean, the thing is, is essentially what LifeLock was doing was, was they, they basically had a computer program uh, and <clears throat> they got what was called a security alert on your credit reports. And then, as, you know, as, you, as your listeners know, and as you know, a security alert is only good for 90 days, but then you can renew it. Uh, you can renew it a certain number of times, and, and you can even ask for an extended security alert, which goes for seven years. What a security alert does is <clears throat> it makes it so that a potential creditor has to contact a certain telephone number and has to receive authorization for a certain credit charge before it goes through. So, for instance, if your cell phone number is, you know, 555-1234, which, you know, a made-up number, um, you would give that number to the credit bureaus. If someone tried to take out credit in your name, the person, the potential creditor, has to call that number to confirm that this is a valid credit transaction. This is, uh, this is the first step and the first layer of protection for victims of identity theft or people who think they might, they're about to become, vic- uh, they're about to become victims of identity theft. Or, or they want to protect themselves from becoming victims of identity theft. That's what they, you know, that's what they're going to try and use if they use LifeLock. Exactly. And, 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 and the thing is, is that it, it, is a, it is a do-it-yourself service with all of the credit bureaus. I believe that it's federally mandated that it be a do-it-yourself service. Yes, it is. Uh, it, it, does not charge, it, it does not cost anything for someone to call or contact the credit bureaus and put a security alert on your, on your credit bureau reports, and you don't have to show anything. I mean, you don't have to have a police report. You don't have to have a, um, you know, a letter from your second-grade teacher or anything like that before you get to put a, a security alert on your credit reports. You, obviously, you have to identify yourself to the satisfaction of the credit bureaus. 
but beyond that, you can put a security alert on your credit reports pretty much any time and, and for pretty much any reason. Like you say, it can be purely preventative. People who are just worried about identity theft, if they really want to, can put a security alert on their credit reports. LifeLock was charging people basically to put their names into computers, and the computers would periodically or continuously update their security alerts, and then they would charge them a monthly fee basically for doing that. That, that was the primary service of LifeLock. Uh, to me, it's a complete waste of time. Um, as, as, your, as your listeners probably know, and as you know, I'm sure, uh, the president of LifeLock, Todd Davis, got his identity stolen. Uh, so, I mean, even many having times, a secure, Many times, yeah. many, many times, as a, as a matter of fact. I, thought, I think I read in the Wall Street Journal was 21 times doing, you know, different types of identity theft, criminal identity theft and government-issued identity theft. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean here is a classic example of hubris. I mean, here's a guy who really, really underestimates the, the, uh, the, the, the cleverness, you know, whatever, the, the, the smartness of the criminal mind sometimes. I mean, believe me, if you give someone your social security number, they're going to figure out a way to use it and, it, and they can get around security alerts and security freezes if they really want to. I mean, there's a number of, you know, there's a number of ways that they can basically get around it. And, you know, for Todd Davis to go out there arrogantly putting his social security number on the, on the sides of trucks, you know, driving around the major metropolitan areas was, was in my mind, insane, and it also uh, it also misrepresented his services. I mean, essentially, in my mind, what, what Todd Davis and what LifeLock were selling was uh, a cure-all, an absolute 100% cure-all for identity theft. And, and as you know, and as I'm sure you re- your listeners know, there is no such thing. I mean, the thing is, is that there are steps you can take to prevent it from happening, if you get it stolen, there are steps you can take to to minimize the damages. But there is no 100% cure-all for for identity theft. I mean, it, it's just it's just not possible. And and the way that they were handling it, it was just for credit identity theft. But you know, I just saw in the paper they're advertising again now since this uh, decree. You know, since this you know, slap on the hand that they have to pay. You know, several. I think it is like 12 or 13 million dollars. Um, they have now said that they have uh, a different model. So they are coming out with a different model, and I think they're going to be monitoring you on, you know, online. But, you know, the the advertisements are very deceptive, and there is no absolute protection. As you said before, Bob, there is no absolute protection because even if, if you don't get your credit stolen, I've had people who call me that, their uh, identity was stolen to get health care or their identity was stolen to commit crimes or cyber identity theft on, online. And, and actually, LifeLock did nothing to protect people from that whatsoever. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I, I see LifeLock as basically uh, the equivalent of a taxi. I mean, the, the best way to guarantee that you're going to be able to get around, you know, Southern California or wherever you live is going to be to get your own driver's license and learn how to drive yourself. If for any reason you're just, you know, terrified of, of getting into a car and driving it yourself, well, then maybe get a family member to do it. But, I mean, if you're paying a taxi or a limousine to come and pick you up all over the place, I mean, uh, it's, it's not necessary, number one. It's, it's essentially a luxury. But, but moreover, I think, I think what, your, what your listeners really have to understand is that a person who takes the time, and it's really not that much time, but a person who takes the time to identify, to educate themselves about identity theft and about dealing with the credit bureaus and about dealing with creditors and so forth and so on. And and we're really only talking about a few hours of education. We're not talking about a college degree. Right. I mean, a person a person who takes the time um, to educate themselves not only has 
one additional thing that they get to talk about when they go to a cocktail party. But, <laughs> but, but honestly, at the end of the day, that is the best defense against a, the scourge of identity theft. LifeLock right. just, to me, it is, it is selling a completely unnecessary service. Um, it is trying to convince people. It, it, is, it is tacitly telling people that this is a 100% guarantee against identity theft, and it's just not. It, it plain and simple, is just not. There's and they no can't way do it, it anymore, and, actually. That's what that was. I was reading in the consent decree. They cannot say that anymore. They cannot say that they're 100% guarantee. But, you know, it's funny because after I read that, then I saw in the paper in the, in the L.A. Times, this full page ad again, and they said they have their million-dollar guarantee. Now, people have to understand what they said their million-dollar guarantee is. They won't give you a million dollars. They say that they will spend their time up to a million dollars or their resources up to a million dollars to you know, to protect you or if you become a victim to help you to resolve things. Yet I've had victims call me who went who had LifeLock and they couldn't get help, so then they called me. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'd like to get some of that million dollars. What yeah, we... well, well, no, <laughs> their million dollars is not an insurance policy. And, no. and I guess that that kind of segues into the next thing that you said we wanted to talk about. Right. Identity theft insurance. But l- let me just let me just go back to LifeLock for just a moment. And you're exactly sure. right. I mean, their, their million, uh, you know, understand that all these companies, uh, you know, the business model of all of these companies uh, involved in, in credit world, and, and it's unfortunate. Um, you know, be it the credit bureaus, be it LifeLock, um, you know, be it the, you know, the various credit repair agencies that you see popping up here and there. I mean, the whole business model is to get a lot of money from you and pay a bunch of, you know, barely high school graduate people about $7.50 an hour to sit in a boiler room and basically do, you know, rote work. And these people obviously are not interested in what they're doing. They're not paying attention. These are not, you know, trained attorneys or trained investigators the way that you are or the way that I am or the way that, you know, I'm sure that we work with various professionals who, who know a thing or two, right. you know, about, about handling these situations. I mean, basically you're hiring a bunch of people with hairnets, you know, to try to straighten <laughs> out your financial situation. And uh, frankly, you know, I, I have not received those calls where people had, you know, uh, had made a claim against this million-dollar guarantee that they've got, and, and, and they've gotten frustrated. But I'm not surprised at all at, at your version of events, because I know, I know the types of people that are working on it. I mean, we're, we're not talking about, you know, Mari Franks out there who are going to, you know, follow up and who know how to play the piano. You know, we're talking about a bunch of... Um, you know, a bunch of people who don't know the game at all, who are being paid beans, who are basically given, you know, little scripts and little, you know, step-by-step little, you know, short shrift protocols to try to get through these problems. And, and you know, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And, and you, you run into this with the credit bureaus. I mean, sometimes the credit bureaus successfully reinvestigate your bad credit, uh, the, the false credit derogatories on your credit report, and sometimes they don't. And one of the big problems is is just the quality of employee that they have working on it. I mean, basically, we're not talking about the profit center. No. We're talking about the part of the business that is not making money, where they want to spend as little money as possible, you know, for to get to get whatever they, you know, to do whatever they, you know, the bare, the minimum. bare absolute minimum of what they need to do to get by. I mean, and that's and that's what you're dealing with when you're dealing with LifeLock's million dollar guarantee. I mean, if you if you want to go into a Burger King or a Taco Bell and, and get the person behind the counter to straighten out your financial situation, <laughs> I mean, I mean that's, that's, that's right. That's about what you're dealing with, and and I, and I think that your listeners need to know that. Yes, and you know, I'll tell you something. They have incredible marketing, though, don't they? 
They, I mean, every everything you pick up. And then what's really upsetting me is like when I get something from my credit union and it says, one of our benefits is for X amount of dollars, you can get LifeLock to protect you. <laughs> and, you know, I just want to flip out anytime, you know, that I hear this on the radio. It is, I think it's so deceptive. People are just thinking, I can't tell you how many emails I get from consumers saying, Mari, what do you think of LifeLock? And I'm going, oh my goodness, you know, I can't. Rather than go into anything, I just say, you know, look at the lawsuit by the Federal Trade Commission, you know, yeah, and, and see what I think of LifeLock. So um, I think I'm, it's important sure, that people... And I'm sure that something I'm saying on this radio program is probably going to... It may result in a nasty letter from the legal department. Frankly, I don't care. No. I, I mean, if if they want to, you know, if they want to come and wrap the wrists and come and, 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 and meet me and discuss uh, their, their, their their shoddy program, I'm, I'm happy to discuss it with them. I... I uh, I, I think that, that, you know, listen, if your listeners want, you know, a system whereby they get some protection, not very great protection, but they get some protection for the monthly fee and it makes them sleep a little bit easier at night, then that's what LifeLock is for. But, I mean, if, if you know, if they want to really, you know, be on top of, this, of the whole identity theft situation, the whole false credit reporting situation, uh, it, unfortunately, you know, the, the, the road out, you know, what, what is the famous, um, you know, Aristotle's famous uh, famous comment, you know, there's no gold, there's no royal road to learning geometry or something like right, that. I mean, right. I mean, I mean, in short, at some point or another, you got to learn it yourself. But frankly, you know, I mean, I mean, and you if know, you want to spend the money, you know, you can get credit monitoring. You know, I, I think that that some people say, Mari, what do you think of credit monitoring? And you know, I you can get your credit reports for free once a year at annualcreditreport.com. And that's, you know, that was set up by the government under the Fair and Accurate Credit Transactions Act. You can do that. You can get that once a year for free. If you're a victim, you can get in California 12 free credit reports. Other states, two free credit reports per year. So um, I happen to have credit monitoring with American Express just because I like to go in and see they send me an email every time there is any change whatsoever and then I go in and look and I can see my score so to me that's worth it and I would rather do that than have something like LifeLock and if you if you do become a victim from some other kind of issue you know you're probably going to want to get some some real help from Bob or from me or some people who really know what they're doing if you know if you can't just get the credit bureaus to clean up the mess or you can't get the medical identity theft off, you're going to get some extra real help. Yeah, and, and, and basically, it's, as I was listening to you, I was just thinking about the difference between Mari Frank and the difference between a person who has not taken the time to, to at least get a basic education in credit world. I mean, Mari, you are a nationally recognized you know, expert in this, in this field, and you have been for more than a decade. So you would choose credit monitoring because basically uh, it is it is conveying information to you in a context in a language that you that you have an understanding of, right. and it's not that your understanding is something that you need a PhD for, but you need a basic, you know, a basic education in in, in the field. You do, and and like I say, it's only a few hours, but it's some it's you know it's time that I think it's time that I think every American consumer should invest, whereas a person who is you know lazy or they're illiterate or you know, they don't, uh, you know, whatever, they don't want to take that time to, to educate themselves and, and to get, you know, basically hatted up on, on the whole subject of credit and identity theft and credit reports. You know, that person, you know, may want someone else to do it for them. Okay, well, okay, in that situation, 
then I guess there's life locked there for them. But but what they have to understand, what they really have to understand, is that it's not a perfect system. It's not a it's not a panacea. It's not a cure-all. It's not going to prevent identity theft. It is something that they could be doing themselves, but if they choose not to do it themselves for a certain monthly fee, that is their choice. And it does provide you know some some basic level of protection. Although you and I you and I agree that it is not the optimum protection by a long shot. No, no. And I think you're so right. People do need to learn. Credit is so important in our society. I mean, you can't get a job if you don't have decent credit. You can't get a car. You can't get an apartment. You can't get a house. There's so many things. So it's just unfortunate that the three credit bureaus, their credit reports are really tough to read, aren't they? Absolutely. And and they're so the the bad thing that I think is you know that they're they even have different formats. So if you learn and you understand your Experian format, and then you go to your Equifax format, it's different. And then your TransUnion, I sit with clients and I go over each one and I show them how to read it. And and you're right, it's it's not an easy thing to do for anybody. And I mean, yeah, you you're an expert at it, and I've been doing it long enough that I'm an expert at it. But there are a lot of people that are really bright bright, educated people, attorneys who don't even know how to read these credit reports. So yeah, but, it, you're but, right. It's tough. But but I got to tell you, Mari, I mean, at the same time, it's tough the first time. I, I mean, I, I do not count myself as the smartest guy I know. And I would say after, um, a, after a half a dozen uh, times through the various credit reports, TransUnion, Experian, Equifax, yeah, they have different formats, but the information is essentially the same. I mean, one one tip that I would have for your listeners, and that is if you are having trouble reading your own credit report and you know, you're, you're not in a situation where you can come and talk to me or it can come and talk to you or we're busy or something like that, I mean, to me, it's pretty simple. You call your, you know, you call your local friend who does real estate transactions. I mean, any real estate loan officer, any real estate loan officer has read dozens and dozens and dozens of credit reports and knows exactly what they're looking for. And you can take it down to them, and they may not have, you know, a full, complete, comprehensive understanding of everything that's going to be on there. But they're going to have a pretty good idea of the of the basic high points that a person needs to know in the credit report. So, I mean, that that's one little tip, you know, that I would suggest that if if you can't get a hold of one of us or an experienced attorney, you know, certainly your local real estate loan officer, or maybe even an escrow officer, could probably be able to help out. Yeah. You know, even I think we should talk a little bit about the various parts of the credit report so that, you know, here we are sitting on the campus of the University of California, and there's a lot of students, besides all the business people driving by, but there's a lot of students who maybe haven't even looked at their credit report. They don't know about it, even though they maybe have credit cards. They they really haven't seen it. Let's talk about some things that they should really look at, like... You know, let's kind of divide up, like start out with the credit header information. Let's tell them what they'll see there and what they should worry about. Yeah, I wish I had a credit report in front of me, but I mean. But but you and I can talk about it. I mean, we know basically what they are. There's the credit header information and and then the accounts. And then, you know, we worry about the, we got to talk about the two types of inquiry section Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, you know, just just the basics that's going to be on all three credit reports. The basics, okay. The the first part of the credit report, at least, you know, as I'm as I'm going from memory right now, the first yeah. part is basically your identification. Yeah. And your identification includes uh, the different versions of your name. So I mean, I mean, that's that's one place that a person should start looking to find out if there's been a false credit reporting or a mixed identity. Mm-hmm. I, I believe on the last time I was on your show, we talked about mixed identity, how the bureau sometimes mix. You know, Mari E. Frank with Mari J. Frank with exactly. Mari M. Frank, and and I mean, particularly if there's if there's any similarity in social security number, there, there's a, there's a strong likelihood that there's going to be at least some mixing up 
of the credit information. Now, I mean, if all the Mari Franks out there have good credit, then there's nothing to worry about. But if, if one of them happens to have bad credit, then, you know, that some of their bad credit can, some, can accidentally swap onto, onto your credit report. Exactly. So, so one of the first things you look for <clears throat> is you look, you look at the identifying information and look at it carefully. Don't gloss over it. I mean, make sure, like in my own, my own instance, um, my name is Robert Francis Brennan. I mean, that's, that's public information. It's, it's on the State Bar website. So, I mean, if I look down and if I see that there is a Robert Edward Brennan or a Robert Jonathan Brennan, um, you know, also being listed as one of my names, I know that there is a problem with the credit report because I've never had those names and I've never gone by those names. And as a matter of fact, you know, this is just a little aside, there is a Robert E. Brennan, or I think it's Robert Edward Brennan in New Jersey, who was indicted for securities fraud. Exactly, and you don't want to be mixed up with him. Yeah, heck no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so I mean, I mean, here's an example of, of yes. where, you know, when I look at my credit mm. report, I start out looking at the names to make sure that, you know, that the names are actually names that I've used or names that I've, that I've known by. I mean, as you know, um, you call me Bob Brennan at the, at the outset of the show, and I go by Bob Brennan professionally in some contexts. So, I mean, I'll get my credit report, and it will say Robert F. Brennan, Robert Brennan, Bob Brennan. Those are all names I've used and names that, that you know, I'm familiar with. But if I, if I see, like I see, if I see a Robert J. Brennan or a Rupert Brennan or something like that, then I know there may be a problem. Right. So that's, that's um, the three things that they identify in the beginning uh, are name, address, Social Security number. I'm not going to discuss what my Social Security number is. I'm not uh, arrogant enough to believe that, that no one <laughs> could right. use it. But I mean, yep. if, if you look at your Social Security number and if they give more than one Social Security number, that is a problem. That means that someone else, you know, a thief has either uh, transposed your name and your Social Security number or the bureaus have accidentally put someone else's Social Security number onto your credit report, which could lead to problems down the road. Exactly. And, and the same thing with address. I mean, you know, let's, you know my, my, my business address, one where I get some of my mail, is 3150 Montrose Avenue, La Crescenta, California. Okay, so I mean, if I see that address on my credit report, then I know not to worry. And then uh, I used to live in Eagle Rock, California years ago, and that, um, you know, there was an address on a, on a street called College View Avenue in Eagle Rock. So if I see that address on my credit report, I know that that's a valid address because, indeed, I used to live on College View Avenue in Eagle Rock, California. But I mean, if I start seeing, you know, hypothetically, well, well, truthfully, I've never lived in, I've never lived in Phoenix, or I've never lived in Texas, I've never lived in uh, Colorado. So if I start seeing, you know, Phoenix or Texas or Colorado addresses show up on my credit report, or if I see addresses in California which are not my addresses, then I, I, I do have to contact the bureaus and ask them to reinvestigate those addresses because they do not belong on my credit report. So I mean, I mean, first things first. Make sure that they have correct name, address history, and social security number for you. And, it, it, and you know, what I've seen recently is having the wrong spouse's name on there. Yes, I've seen that too. And, uh, and, and so you've got to be careful because someone can apply for your name as a joint, like, you know, Mari Brennan, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you see Mari Brennan as your spouse, then you have to worry that Mari somehow used your social to get a joint credit card. So that that's that's a problem too. If you see a spouse, or if you have an ex spouse that is no longer your spouse, get that name off there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. so everything on that credit header information, if it's wrong, you got to let them know because that's that may be a real clue for you. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's absolutely correct, and that's a good point. And the other, and as a matter of fact, we have a we have a large case going right now in the um, in the Central District of California, you know, concerning a senior and a junior. I mean, if you 
you know, let's use me because senior and junior normally applies to guys as opposed to women. Uh, but I mean, if, you know, I don't happen to be Robert Brennan Sr. I mean, my, my son has a different name, but I mean, if I were a Robert Brennan Sr., and if I had a son named Robert Brennan Jr., uh, the senior and the junior is an identifying field in the computer programs of the credit bureaus. And so you need to make sure that, you know, if I'm Robert Brennan Sr., I make sure that throughout my credit report I'm identified as Robert Brennan Sr. and that I don't see any uh, reference to Robert Brennan Jr. on there, because at that point my son's credit or my hypothetical son's credit could be getting mixed onto mine. Exactly. And we are speaking with attorney Robert Brennan. He's been talking to us about credit and credit reports, and we're going to be talking about collections and all sorts of important stuff that affect everyone listening here. I just want to tell you that Robert is a fantastic attorney. He's a super lawyer. He's a consumer lawyer. He works with everything from Lemon Law to identity theft, abusive credit and collection, consumer protective class actions. He's been on our show before, and I just adore him. And you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Privacy Piracy. So let's let's talk about um, a little bit about why it's important to notify the credit bureaus. Um, if you let's say when you get to that, uh, everything on the on the top part of your credit header information is correct, but you see all sorts of problems on your accounts, accounts that you've never had before. So this might be an indication of identity theft or a merged or mixed file. So why is it important to notify the credit bureaus and not just the creditors? Let's talk about that. Well, you have to you have to notify the credit bureaus, absolutely. I mean, a lot of us, as a matter of fact, on the Federal Trade Commission website, uh, it basically says list you know contact the credit bureaus as the first order of business i mean i mean you have to and i'll tell you exactly why i mean the thing is is that putting a security alert or putting a credit freeze on your credit report is the first step to stopping or or at least slowing down the identity theft as you mentioned earlier <clears throat> you know there's identity thefts beyond credit identity thefts there's you know medical identity thefts there's other types of identity thefts but i mean as to the credit identity theft the very, very first step is notifying the credit bureaus and getting them to put a, you know, a, a security alert on your credit report. And if you really are a victim of identity theft, I think you need to get the extended, the extended alert. Uh, to me, <clears throat> 90 days, I mean, I don't know what your experience or your own opinion is, but to me, 90 days is wholly insufficient uh, for a person who really has become the victim of an identity theft. I mean, I think that they should go for the extended one, which is, I think it's up to seven years. Seven years, yeah. And let's clarify for people, because you and I understand this, but I know a lot of people don't understand the difference between a security or, or what they call a fraud alert, the 90-day fraud alert, or the extended, you know, uh, fraud alert, or the security freeze. So let's kind of clarify what each one is. You talked about the 90-day. That's the one you can get without a police report, nothing. You just call up and you call the fraud number of the credit bureaus and you and you put in, you'll, you won't get a real person. You'll get a voice prompt. You have to give your social security number, et cetera. And then within three days, they have to place the fraud alert. And that says, don't issue credit without calling me first at this number. And like Bob said, it's a good idea to use your cell phone number. So if you are out shopping and you do want to get that special Macy's credit card at the, you know, in a hurry, they can call you and you can answer the phone. 
this the extended fraud alert though you're going to have to send a police report and your FTC affidavit to say that you're a victim of fraud that's how you get that seven-year alert and then it stays on your credit report you don't have to call every 90 days and it stays on there for seven years then the security freeze which is entirely different which you can get whether you're a victim or not let's start out with if you're a victim if you're a victim to get a security freeze, you can either, now that, that you can do it online or by phone or by mail, you ask that your credit be locked up. And the way that you do it is if you're a victim, you get it for free with each of the credit bureaus. And what happens is they will issue you a PIN number. And that PIN number or your password is the number or the password that you use to allow the a creditor to get your credit report so no creditor no potential creditor can get your credit report without you giving this pin but you have to give the pin to the credit bureaus and it takes about three days to get it off in california and then you like if you want to get a car you can say all right i want to release my credit reports to car dealerships any car dealerships or if you just want to lift it entirely say just lift it for now and it's free for a, a victim. If you're not a victim, if you're a consumer, it's going to cost you, um, I think it's $12, 10 or $12. And if you're a senior citizen, it's only $5. So I, I, I thought the prices were higher, but but I, you're probably more... The last, the last someone one of my clients uh, got a, a credit freeze. I think it was forty nine dollars. No, I'm no, not... no. It's not. Then it's never been forty nine dollars. It's been. Well, you have to pay each of the credit bureaus. So if you pay, it's thirty dollars for Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. Okay, to get all three. Okay. And then when you lift it, it's another thirty dollars. Okay. Maybe that, yeah, maybe that's where they came up with the figure. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, it's that. And if you're, if, but if you're over sixty-five, you can get it for five dollars. So you can do five times three is fifteen dollars to take to um, put on a freeze, and fifteen dollars to remove it. Okay. Okay. So we were talking about that. I just wanted to clarify because I, I, I know you and I know this stuff, but we don't know. Who, you know, a lot of the people don't understand the difference between. The security freeze. So, so let's say you're the victim of identity theft and you see all this stuff on there. All right. So let's talk about what, what the law says about why we have to tell the credit bureaus even before we tell the creditors about it. Well, the, the thing is, is that the theory is, is that the credit bureaus are the, what do you want to call it, the marketplace of the credit information. So the credit bureaus are going to be the ones who are not only protecting the victims of identity theft, but they're also going to be protecting the merchants who are who are ultimately not going to get paid uh, for uh, basically giving uh, a bunch of thieves a lot of goods using someone's stolen identity. So it's it's you know it's it's a social decision as far as I see it. I mean, unless you have information, I don't. I see it as a social decision, which is basically that you know by by alerting the credit bureaus first. You are providing, you know, at least the basic protection to the consumer, but you're also protecting the merchants out there who, because the merchants lose in identity theft situations too. Right. Um, you know, and they, I mean, they're the ones, you know, and, and, and understand this. I mean, a lot of people come into my office and, you know, they are the victims and I feel sorry for them, but I mean, they've had someone shop at, um, you know, let's say Macy's, we talked about Macy's and someone ran up a, you know, a thousand dollar charge at Macy's. Well, Macy's is going to have to eat that charge. Right. Um, and Macy's definitely wants to know uh, as soon as possible if there's been an identity theft 
or if there's any suspicion of identity theft, because they don't want to grant credit or to John Jones to buy $1,000 worth of clothing or jewelry at Macy's if, if indeed it's going to be a fraudulent transaction. Macy's is not going to be able to go after the real John Jones for that money. Macy's is probably going to have to eat that charge. Now, a lot of merchants these days, as you know, are carrying a, a form of insurance, you know, kind of a self-insured type situation for this type of for that type of loss, but at the same time, it's they're still losing money, and they'd rather not go through it. Right. So, so if so, if you see your credit report, and you have fraud on there, and you know it's fraud. I mean, somebody's opened up accounts with Macy's, or they've opened up a new account with, you know, uh, any any other company got a credit card or etc. Um, you obviously want to notify the creditor, but you also must notify the credit reporting agency so they can. Uh, send a notice to the creditor that the creditor has to investigate. And if if you don't do that, don't you lose some of your rights? Oh, absolutely. No, and that's true. I mean, the thing is, is what a person, whether or not you altogether lose your rights, I mean, a lot of merchants and a lot of credit card companies will have it in their contract that says if you suspect a fraudulent charge, you are obligated to contact the creditor and the credit bureaus within a certain number of time, a certain amount of time. I think it's usually like 72 hours or something like that. I mean, it's not something that you can sleep on. Um, We did litigate a case, and it's been a while. I can't remember exactly what the specific details were, but but it was a situation where the, the consumer had waited over a month to notify the bureaus and the creditor of this identity theft, even though they had notice of it earlier. And the chargebacks were not honored. I mean, basically, that, that consumer remained on the hook, even though that consumer had done not all of the right steps, but but she had done many of the right steps, but she just waited a month to do it. And, and frankly, I mean, I sat with her in deposition, and, and she didn't have a good excuse other than she really didn't know what to do. I mean, I mean the presumption these days... <clears throat> Is is that you can go online and you can you can at least get a, a reasonable idea of what you're supposed to do if you find that, if you find out that you're the victim of an identity theft. And this person was a young kid, you know, 22 years old, did not know uh, what the proper steps were and so forth and so on, and basically got stuck with the charges because she waited mm-hmm. too long to dispute. Uh, ultimately, as a result of the case, we were able to get the uh, the merchants to forgive the charges, but it, but still, I mean, it was it was you know a, a small consolation you know, for the amount of trouble that she'd been through as a result of the identity theft. Absolutely. So that's a really important point. When you see something, you know, if you get a call from a company asking you why you haven't paid your $2,000 bill to a company you never heard of, you know, you need to you need to let that creditor know immediately. You need to immediately tell the credit reporting agencies you're a victim of fraud. You got to deal with it immediately. And just when you were talking about how you should know, there are some websites that I'll give you right now, too, which is FTC, stands for Federal Trade Commission, FTC.gov slash ID theft, and then my website, identitytheft.org, and then privacyrights.org are, are places that give you all the steps of what to do immediately. So Bob is absolutely right. So then if they don't, clean up the mess and you've notified them then you call bob and bob will just make sure that he puts them in line and that you have uh you know that you're compensating for your damages and your injuries yeah and, and mari i think that um i think that my website socal credit damage actually i have three urls that are all basically pointing to the same website socal credit damage socal id theft and socal identity theft um <coughs> 
and and they they have a lot of the same information that you have on your website as great, well. Great, great. So let's do that. The, there are a lot of good places that you should get this, and you should have it at your fingertips. You know, Bob, I have this this case going on right now that I helped this family before, and I thought we had it all cleaned up, but um, this young man went to get credit uh, to buy a car with his mom, and when they went to the credit union. Um, he had never gotten credit before. He he found out, I mean, there wasn't anything wrong on his credit except he had a social security number that was associated with a bunch of different names in different states. <laughs> and they didn't want to let him be a borrower because of that. And that was this Experian social security um, number search that they're selling right now. So anyway, I worked with him. We got it all cleaned up. And I just, just today, got another call from her that now he went to do something else. I think it was for a job. Oh, yeah, it was for a job. And now his accurate, which is part of LexisNexis, like a background check. He went to get a background check. And now that came up there that his social security number was here with all of these others and this is not um this is this is not even considered like credit card fraud or any kind of identity theft for financial reasons it's coming up for i think it's for these people working under his name so you know i just i brought it up now because these things can happen to you you have to deal with them when they happen and they can come back again to bite you in the butt well, and, and, it, and it kind of brings up, a, it, it kind of comes full circle with what we were talking about earlier in the program. You know, is it possible to completely prevent identity theft? And the answer, I'm sorry, the answer is no. Exactly. One of the reasons is the amount of data sharing that goes on, which is which is obscene. Um, I, I think that I, I, at one point or another, I think I was on your show maybe a year or two ago, and, and we got talking about what would it take for a person to actually go and root out all the different places that their identity has been shipped to or sold to, you know, in the course of their lifetime. And it's, it's, it's impossible. It's right. literally impossible. And, and the amount of security, I mean, obviously, you know, obviously they maintain a, you know, a computer file on you at the Social Security Administration and probably with the FBI, which are reasonably secure databases. But, I mean, a lot of the, uh, <clears throat> a lot of the companies where your information has been shipped uh, it's sitting in a database somewhere which may have been sold. The security may be may be gone now. It may be outdated. I mean, there's no there's no guarantee whatsoever um, that there's any measure of security, you know, for for much of your private information which has been shipped around and sold, uh, you know, and and to to countless uh, numbers of outlets. But one of the places it gets sold to, I mean, the bureaus themselves, the bureaus themselves have. Uh, sub companies where uh, where basically they sell a certain amount of information from credit reports to the sub companies for specific purposes like employment background checks or uh, you know spot identification transactions like a few years ago <clears throat> we had a case against uh, Experian and it turns out Experian had a a program a sub company uh, and I can't remember what the name of it was but they had name and address information only. For this sub company, and it was specifically for retailers who wanted to verify uh, name and address of people who were doing credit transactions in the evenings at retail stores like Macy's, hmm. and and so it, it's it's like they they sell you know they sell the information to these companies. Sometimes they set up completely new companies uh, with with a bunch of information. You know you know about Choice Point. Right. I mean Choice Point basically. Uh, Choice Point was an Equifax spinoff a few years ago. I mean we're going back probably 15 years. 
But around 15 years ago, Equifax, uh, in addition to the credit database, also maintained insurance claims information on all kinds of consumers. Well, insurance claims information invariably uh, involves a lot of personal information. It involves a social security number. It involves a lot of personal credit and financial information. Uh, it may involve a lot of personal health information. For instance, if you made an insurance claim concerning a, you know, a specific medical condition or something like that. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's an incredible amount of highly personal, highly private information. And Equifax decided that they could make more money spinning it off into a separate company, so they created ChoicePoint. And then ChoicePoint sold themselves off to LexisNexis, which was doing very similar stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, so I mean, it's just, it's, 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 you know, you're talking it's scary. about... Well, let me tell you something, Bob. You know, when my husband, I think it was about six years ago, he got his captain's license. And, um, and then, you know, he had to take a drug test. And what did it come back from but... Choice Point, <laughs> and and Choice Point had this this you know drug you know the background check for drugs. Luckily, he was fine, and you know he got his captain's license, and there wasn't any problem. But when I looked at it, because I said I wanted copies of all the reports, being that you know I'm the attorney that I am, I want to see everything, and you're entitled to those, by the way. When I saw it, I looked and I said, Oh my gosh, Choice Point is is doing the background checks on these drug testings. It just blew my so you're absolutely right on that we have no idea how many companies have our data. Oh yeah. It's 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 impossible. I mean, you know, and that's one of the reasons that identity theft is impossible to prevent. I mean, the thing is is we have a self uh, basically a self-replicating virus out there which is, you know, these companies just are starved for our personal information. I mean, they want, you know, they want the information of the people with good credit because they want to make credit offerings to them. They want the information of people with bad credit because they want to offer them credit with a higher interest rate. They want all the shopping and the retail information because they want to know how to, you know, fashion specific little emails or specific little advertisements that will specifically appeal to to you or I or whoever happens to be involved. They want all the claims information because, you know, that that obviously would be used in any kind of underwriting. I mean, if you know a person, you know, if you if you make ten claims for on your homeowner's policy, well, next time you go to renew for your, for homeowners. You know, they're going to pull their choice point report and they're going to see that you have 10 claims in your homeowner's policy on and on and on. I mean, I mean, big corporate America wants our private information. They have not taken good care of it. Uh, I'm sorry. They, they've been just utterly, utterly reckless with it. And, you know, we now live in a world where it's just all over the place. I, I mean, <clears throat> I have spoken to people who are identity thieves and reformed identity thieves, and, and they have told me that it is obscenely easy to get a person's, you know, to get some of the uh, person's most secretive information if they really want to and for a certain amount of money. Yeah, and and even if, and you know, it's so easy to work in a company and have access to it because if you think about your banks and all the other, or hospitals, all the information and 60% of all of the identity theft cases in Orange County that are prosecuted are by, uh, the, the thieves are dirty insiders. They yeah. are yeah, unscrupulous employees. So or the cleaning right. crew, the cleaning yeah. crew that comes yeah. in at three in the morning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, the biggest, the biggest ID theft ring about, I'm going to say, about four years ago in LA, was basically a bunch of a a, a, a large cleaning crew that uh, basically had a contract with a bunch of chiropractic and dentist offices, and and so they go in at night, they turn on the copier, and they and they'd uh, copy off everyone's records, and they'd sell them to identity thieves. And of course, they're making a ton of money as a cleaning crew, not from the, you know, 
$8 an hour they're being paid to clean the offices, but from, you know, from basically from stealing the identities. Right. All they have to do is go through the garbage and rifle through the desks. Yeah, exactly. We're speaking with attorney Robert Brennan, who is our wonderful consumer rights attorney. He is uh, does everything from lemon law issues to unfair and abusive debt collection to automotive dealer fraud, wrongful credit damage. He is wonderful. I've known him for years, and I just think he is terrific. You can find out a lot more about him at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. And we link to his website at brennanlaw.com as well as his other websites. And you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. And I'm Mari Frank, your host of Privacy Piracy. Bob, you know, in this day and age where the economy is really hurting us, people are being laid off left and right. They're getting collection calls. And, and I know this is really an expertise of your years of how to deal with collection agencies and when they call you. So for those people who are listening, who are scared about this, and I know there's a lot of students that this happens to, what if you get a collection call from a company and, you know, what do you do about it? Whether, whether it's a com- uh, an account you really had or whether you didn't have, what should you be doing? Well, I think first things first, I mean, I mean, with so many calls these days, assume that you're being tape recorded. So, I mean, uh, you know, uh, clients come into me and they have what looks to be a great lawsuit. And then, you know, in discovery, I get the, um, you know, I get the, uh, the tapes from the debt collectors and the debt collectors have been taping all the calls. And, you know, of course, the, you know, my client, you know, my, my sweet, innocent little old lady client is, you know, ranting and using obscenities and, you know, threatening to, you know, come down and bomb their offices and all that type of stuff. And of course, of course, that, that effectively ruins their case. I mean, if they're acting like, if they're acting uh, that, that off the wall. Um, so, you know, assume, assume number one, that the calls are being recorded. <clears throat> in, the federal, in the Federal Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, there is a provision for basically a, a reinvestigation or a, I think it's called a, a, an affirmation. I, I, the, name, the, the specific term uh, escapes me right now, but if you tell the debt collector, tell the debt collector on the phone that I need to have the debt verified. It's verification. That's right. Um, tell the debt collector I need to have the debt verified and send in a letter to the debt collector and demand verification and send it certified mail. Now, a lot of times what you get is you get the debt collector just sending back, you know, some little one-page transmittal memo from the creditor, you know, uh, basically saying, you know, Joe Jones owes the money and nothing more. Right. Uh, to, To verify the debt, you need the underlying source information for the debt. Uh, you know, just tell the debt collector, listen, you know, you, you're, you're, you want to be cooperative, but you think either you don't owe the debt or you're being overcharged, one or the other. You need to see the original contract and you need to see the original account record from the creditor. So let's say the creditor, again, let's use Macy's and let's say, let's call it ABC Debt Collector. Um, ABC, you, you ask for verification from ABC Debt Collector and ABC Debt Collector sends you some, you know, some worthless little, you know, two-line thing saying Macy's says you owe, you know, $100. You want to write back um, to the debt collector and to Macy's, and you want to say, listen, I need to see a copy of my contract, and I need to see the account, you know, basically the latest version of the account notes, so that I can reconcile them with my account notes, so I have an idea of how much I owe. And, and, and these really are your rights under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. This is not something that's discretionary. The debt collectors will try to tell you that these are not your rights, but they are. You have a right to basically see the basis for the claim being made against you. Uh, if, if 
during the, during the verification period, they are not allowed to debt collect and they are not allowed to credit report, and it lasts for 30 days. During those 30 days, spend that 30 days getting to the bottom of the debt, finding out whether you owe it. If you do owe it, you know, we, we encourage all of our clients. If, if you owe the debt, make arrangements to make payments. I mean, that, that's just, you know, that, that's, uh, in my mind, the moral and the decent thing to do. Um, and also you could get sued and they could, you know, they, they could probably end up suing you for more, even if it's just court costs, they could probably end up suing you for more than the actual amount of the debt. Right. And, and interest in you all agree that. to make some payments and you keep them normally, you can, can, you can negotiate a reduced price. You know, let's say you owe a thousand bucks. I mean, a lot of times the debt collectors will accept, you know, two, three, four or 500 bucks and three payments rather than the full thousand dollars. So, you know, you get, you get the opportunity to actually get a discount if you negotiate a little bit with the debt collector. And you need to get that in writing. That they're going to do that before you send them the money. Yeah, and then and then also also like the last, you know, the last check should be exchanged for a full release and satisfaction of the obligation. So there's no question down the road that you've paid it because what sometimes happens is these debts are all bundled into huge batches. Uh, you know, they're they're shipped around from debt collector to debt collector. You know, they don't always keep very careful track of what what's in those batches. So sometimes. Even though you've paid debt collector number one for that debt, that debt will get transferred over to debt collector number two or debt collector number three or number four, and they'll come after you for the same debt over and over and over again. Exactly. Yeah, so, so I mean, that, that's one thing you really have to watch out for. Now, in terms of credit reporting, you know, obviously uh, tell them not to credit report until uh, you, you, you validate or you verify the debt. And if they, if they validate the debt, then they're allowed to, to, you know, credit report negatively on you, but only based upon what they have specifically validated. I mean, in short, if they're only able to validate it, that you owe $10, they cannot report to the credit bureaus that you owe $5,000. Um, and they have to, you know, they have to, val- they have to uh, credit report the dates accurately. And one way, and <clears throat> this is a whole another topic, and I know that we're probably close to, you know, the one hour that we have for your show, but there's a whole, there's a whole game that the debt collectors play about re-aging your debts, uh, reporting the dates falsely to the credit bureaus, because that lets them report it for a longer period of time, which is a debt collection tactic. And if they are falsifying the dates, it is a wrongful debt collection tactic. You know, I think I would like you to just tell people how long they can put this on your credit report, because I think a lot of times people will find out and this has happened to actually friends of mine. They go, you know, I, I just heard about this debt that was like 15 years old. What, where did this come from? And, and they didn't even remember it. So what about that? How long can they come after you for a debt that was not paid? Or, you know, I mean, whether it's true or not. In other words, whether they, whether the, there was a debt maybe when you were a teenager and you didn't know about it or something like that. So how long, what is the statute of limitations that they can come after you for? Well, the statute of limitations um, and a reporting period are different things. Okay. The statute of limitations is the legal period within which within which a creditor has to bring a lawsuit. Right. Right. Yeah. So in California, that's four years, basically four years from when from when uh, when when the obligation became delinquent or when you defaulted. Right. Um, now, in 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 credit world, in terms of credit reporting, the the ability to credit report a late payment or an unpaid debt which has not been reduced to a judgment, is seven years and six months from date of first delinquency. So if your date of first delinquency is, let's say, October of 2005, then you would calculate, and that's basically the date of first delinquency refers to the first time you missed a payment. Um, They have seven years and six months after that date within which they can credit report you for a late payment or an unmade or payment that you did not make. 
It's seven years and six months from date of first delinquency. Um, it is not seven years and six months from charge-off, as some people commonly say. It's seven years and six months from the date of first delinquency. It's a different rule for foreclosures, for bankruptcies, and for judgments. And there the reporting period is 10 years. <clears throat> I believe, I'm not sure about judgments. I know that for, for foreclosures and bankruptcy, the reporting period is 10 years. And I believe that that's also the same period for judgments. Okay, so so let's say then that after five years, a creditor sells to a collection company. So how long does the collection company have? Only the two years, seven months? Or right, do two they years, two but years and six months? Two years and six months, rather. Yeah. So so you have to go back because I know that there are a lot of collection companies that will try to say, no, I can put it on, you know, re- I can, you know, reinsert it into your credit report. I know people who've heard, who've heard that, who've said that to me. Well, and we, that we, is we, not we true. Those cases. Yeah. yeah. So those are the kind of cases. If you have a collection company that tells you that they're going to reinsert it and it's been more than seven years, six months that you had the first delinquency, then you should call Bob, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. <laughs> right. Well, we have, uh, let's see, we have about another minute left. So, Bob, <laughs> we didn't even get through all the things we wanted to talk to because I think you were just so wonderful. But oh. can you can you just give an overall real quickie about what you think about the new credit card legislation, anything that you, any little tricks or concerns that people should have? I, I, I think the main thing is, um, you know, that it, it really, uh, I'll say one thing. There's a, there's a number of things to say about it, but I'll say one thing, and that is I, I think that it, it's pretty clear that it gives more rights to people who make their monthly payments. Uh, even if, if you make your monthly payments, you know, you have – all the notice provisions, all the anti-penalty provisions, all the, you know, the, they cannot change the, you know, they cannot raise the interest rates. They cannot change it from a fixed to adjustable. It all depends upon you making your monthly payments. I mean, I mean, to me, I read about probably, I read portions of the legislation itself, and I read numerous articles, you know, coming from Washington and coming from New York about, you know, the effect of the, of the laws. And to me, the one thing that impressed me and everything I read was that there's a bright line between people who make their payments and people who don't. Um, if if you don't make your payments, as far as I'm concerned, the old rules apply, meaning that there are no rules. If, <laughs> if, if, if you do make if you do make your payments, you do have the protections of the new of the new legislation. So I, I would I would just tell you, listeners, you know, if you if you want to want to have the maximum protections of the new laws, you need to you need to uh, maintain your monthly payments. At least your minimum payments. Yes, yes. At, at the very least, your minimum payments. Well, Robert Brennan, why don't you give us your three websites before we go too? Okay, thank you very much, Mari. Um, the one having to do with credit issues is www.socalcalcreditdamage, uh, all one word, socalcreditdamage.com. And then I have additional websites, www.brennanlaw.com. And I also have, we also do a lot of automotive lemon law cases. And that is www.socallemonlaw.com. Well, you are so wonderful. We will have to have you back again next year and tell us all the great things that, that's going on and what you can do to help us protect other consumers. You're terrific. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Mari, thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit us at our website, at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. There you can see our upcoming guests. You can see their bios. You can also see 
our previous guests, listen to their archived interviews, click onto their websites and learn more from them. Also, write us emails about what's important to you in the information age. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.